We're back, Empires of the Future, today, talking about Baptists. Yes, we are. All kinds of Baptists. Big Baptists, Little Baptists, uh, Green Baptists. I don't know, just all, all, all the different kinds of Baptists. Right. Well, unfortunately, there are lots and lots of kinds of Baptists. There are. A, a plethora, one might say. <laughs> Yeah. If you watch Three Amigos, yeah, you right. would say there were a plethora of Baptists yeah. and a plethora of piñatas as well. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, we had the SBC, the annual meeting mm-hmm. uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention took place last week. Neither you nor I went. Um, it was not uh, undrivable for us being down in New Orleans. And so we're going to talk about that today and um, some of the events and happenings. Have you ever been to a Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting? I have. Yeah. Have you? I have. I've been to one. Yeah. Where did you go? Indy. Yeah, oh, when is in Indy? So I actually went when I was um, uh, interning at a SBC church in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So it was in Baltimore that year. So it was just, uh, I don't know, three or four hours from where I was at in Virginia. And so me and a couple of other pastors... Drove up there and went to it. It was a really neat experience. I agree. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Um, I didn't really know what to expect going in. Obviously, they have the pastors conference right. at the at the front end of the of the meeting, yep. which is really cool mm-hmm. um, because what I was surprised by was how the pastors conference was, um, frankly, just about as as good and well organized as any conference I've been to. Yeah, it's not very long. Right. Yeah. But um, typically, the pastors conference is like um, the Monday. And then what? First half of a Tuesday. Yeah, part part of the next day. Yep. So uh, that was really good, really cool. I, I enjoyed it. The business meeting part uh, was pretty close to how it's described um, by some. It's a church business meeting, but it is, and it's, it's really big, <laughs> right? A huge one. And um, and and so look, uh, how do you show your cards on this? Some of it's really boring. Uh, yeah. Some of it is kind of like mildly interesting and then there's all the uh there, there, there seems to always be a contentious issue every year yeah. uh, and that's you know that happens because we are a grassroots organization uh yeah. and, and we and, and actually strictly speaking we are a collection mm-hmm. of independent churches choosing to <laughs> choosing to have community and fellowship and to uh, gather in order to make resolutions yeah. and statements about what we all agree about. Um, and so then inevitably you're going to have disagreements as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's kind of maybe a little bit worth stating on the front end. Uh, what's unique about Southern Baptists, and some people might not know this, is that um, there is not the Southern Baptist Church. Yeah, right. There are churches right. who cooperate together right. and form the Southern Baptist Convention and the, the means by which you, you do that are that you affirm uh, and hold to the Baptist Faith, the Message 2000, and that you give to the cooperative program. Right. Um, there, you know, I've always thought, not always, but I think that's a little bit too simplistic. There are other things that almost by necessity are required, like being a part of your uh, local association, your state convention, things like that, are kind of like the doorway in, typically. They're more recommended and expected yeah. to some degree, mm-hmm. um, but then you have to start saying things like some associations have a very, very little organization, right. depending on where you are in the country, right. um, and then some uh, associations have incredible amounts uh, and some state conventions have incredible amounts of funding and uh, yeah. and, and what that means for a typical uh, Southern Baptist minister like you or me is some associations and uh, organizations are able to just give away free books or free food. Yeah. And so you go to some meetings and you're like, whoa, this is great. Free food, free books. Wonderful. And then some you go and you just sit and talk. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so, yeah, that's a, a part of what makes it so unique and why uh, the convention as it happens every year is so important, so significant because um, this is the way decisions happen. This is right. the way things, things take place just like in a, in a congregational church, right. the business meeting is where things are accomplished. Um, in a cooperation of churches, uh, this is how things get done. We all come together and we meet, we discuss issues, and issues are presented and then voted on. And that right. carries the weight of the convention behind it. Right, right. And so uh, we'll talk about this some today, but uh, yeah. I thought it'd be a good way to get into this, to ask a, a, what is both a simple and a complex question. How did you become a Baptist in... Uh, that's that is both a simple and a complex question. The simple answer is whenever I was about 12, 13 years old, 
uh, I started going to a Baptist church. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I think for mm-hmm. for many people, the answer is something like that, or I just was born and raised in this context, so right. that's that's why I'm a Baptist. But um, so the the longer answer is, I came out of a very different kind of um, church background where. Me and my family, we were a part of the Westland Church. We went to a Westland Church here in town, and I was, at the time, not even a Christian. Yeah. Um, I didn't come to faith in Christ until a little bit later, um, but it's a very different kind of church context, um, similar in the in the most basic of kind of Protestant, um, yeah. I don't know, particulars, but uh, very much a, a different theological system. But that wasn't an issue for me. The only thing I really was concerned about whenever I first started, this is me like being completely honest. Yeah, sure. When I first started coming to First Southern, it was, I have some friends that are here. They play dodgeball uh, on Fridays, which right. I thought was great. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan of <clears throat> the the youth pastor at the time where the church I was at. Sure. And all of that just kind of showing my cards um, is not a good reason that I would ever encourage someone to leave a church. Right. And that's why, uh, you know, a part having known this story, uh, the other parts of the story that can be mentioned are your mom made the decision yep. to come to first right. Southern Baptist church. And she had her own reasons for sure as yep. well. And so you weren't the driver in this car, both literally and figuratively. Right. Yeah. It, but at the same time, I kind of was because I started coming here because of dodgeball. Mm. And through that, I got connected with sort of coming to some youth events, youth group, on Wednesday nights and things like that. And so because of that, my brother started coming, uh, my right, sister, James right, started coming right. so <clears throat> I think my mom already was like, okay, we're going to be looking somewhere else. Yeah. But yeah, sure. The reason it was first Southern was because I was already kind of connected here. And, and my mom was friends right. with, uh, uh, Mrs. Hermer, Kim Hermer, yeah, sure. uh, was here at the time. So, um, yeah. And so, in a sense, I was a <clears throat> partial driver. I was in the I was in the co-pilot seat, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I think a, a, another good question is how to, and more important for my story is why I'm still a Baptist. Okay, sure. Uh, and and I think proudly so. I do believe that the the theological uh, particulars that Southern Baptists hold to, I largely by largely I mean I, I agree with. Yeah. So things like being a congregational church, that's something that we we think is good where uh the congregation ultimately holds um the keys of authority for the church it doesn't lie with me as a pastor it doesn't lie with with the deacons lies with the congregation which includes me right but it's not doesn't lie with me right because they all are considered priests and 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 obviously who holds ultimate authority in the church jesus christ does but how do we figure out what jesus wants we trust the congregation to walk with him and uh, rather than what? Rather than trusting uh, a bishop or a priest or any other name you might come up with. Man. Yep. That along with, with yeah, obviously it's in the name, uh, beliefs about baptism. Yep. I believe that the Bible teaches pretty clearly uh, baptism is to be done to a particular person, and that is a regenerate believer, and in a particular way, and right. that is by immersion. Right. Um, so I hold to that. Church autonomy, a few other things, but all of it, together as why I am still and proudly a Baptist. Yeah. And not it, just, that's where my family brought me, you know? Yeah. 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 How about yeah. you, Jackson? Yeah. How, how did you become a Baptist? Um, so yes, the, the short version is that Baptists ministered very well to my cousin Brad when he turned up, uh, at 17 years old as a high school junior with cancer. And, uh, uh, Brad lived across the street from McKinley Avenue Baptist Church in Harrisburg, Illinois, and not only were they so kind and generous in uh, bringing food and caring uh, for my family, um, but because of the way it all worked out to where Brad had so much support from the community, their their parking lot was across the street from his house as well, and kids would just be parked in in their parking lot every day, including Sundays, and they never complained about that. Uh, and it's not like the kids parked in the lines on the parking lot even. Um, and, and, and there was just a genuine, um, outpouring of love from that church for, for Brad and for my aunt Teresa and, and, um, and what that resulted in after a year for me, I sat and watched in the balcony of that church for a year going, this is all nonsense. Um, including so a lot of things Brad's telling me is nonsense about what this church is about and, and any church is about, um, 
but I was, uh, you know, 15 at the time. And so then at 16, I gave my life to Christ and, um, it was Baptists who did the work. And so I start out very much in a similar way to you. Um, but then over the years, I look at uh, what the Baptist Church teaches, and I go, this is representative of what the New Testament teaches. And, and I see the way God works in these everyday believers, and I um, am thankful that he does. Um, and, and so I, I will say that that is... Uh, all the things that you said are true for me as well about why I'm still a Baptist. And then, and then it, um, names are always funny. We also have two names officially. We are also called Great Commission Baptists. Um, whether that's any clearer than Southern Baptist, I think is debatable. But um, some people don't know. Plenty of people don't know what the Great Commission is. Um, but that commitment uh, to the Great Commission is probably the greatest thing I can say about Southern Baptists as a people. Yeah, uh, it's true. And, and, and it is, uh, operating in a Baptist church is complicated because yeah. since it's grassroots, since we are congregationally governed, that means everybody has buy-in because everybody has power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so it's complex. Um, but at the same time, I see God work. I see God work all the time, and I'm thankful for yeah. it. There's no life I would rather have lived. And this is from a guy who had no idea what I would do for a living uh, and was scared to death to get a job because I thought I would hate it. Yeah. <laughs> and now here you are, a Baptist now pastor. Here I am. That's yeah. right. That's awesome. Well, yeah, we had the the uh, annual convention. Like we said, this is something where technically the Southern Baptist Convention, I think this is interesting, the Southern Baptist Convention technically only exists for like two days uh, out of the year, um, which is kind of amazing to think about. Now, in in the meantime, obviously our churches still meet. We still call ourselves Southern Baptist. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the what it is that we do when we come together in those things, it doesn't just end then. It guides us and directs us as we cooperate and fellowship together right. as churches. Right. Um, but additionally, there is the executive team that sort of functions, represents the Southern Baptist Convention right. throughout the year. But Right. And so how does that work? Well, that's because the messengers approve that executive team to right. exist, right. <laughs> not just to operate, but to exist and to function in a certain way. And then until the next meeting, at which point the executive team cl- clearly says, this is what we've been doing. You tell us. If you don't like it, tell us to change. Um, and so that's there. And uh, there's a lot of confusion about this. There, I know there's always a lot of confusion about um, the cooperative program. Um, cooperative program is this great idea that Baptists had uh, 120 years ago, something like this. Long time. And uh, that is we will take monies from the Baptist churches uh, we will, there are certain tasks that you cannot just say year to year, maybe we will do those, maybe we won't. Running seminaries, mm-hmm. funding missionaries, you can't put somebody on the mission field and say, we'll let you know year by year if you get to uh, continue your funding. I'm not, I'm not just talking that person. We'll let you know year by year if anybody gets funded. Right. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, right. there, there are some longer term uh, projects, and the cooperative program serves to carry out those. And so, for instance, everyone who gives to a Southern Baptist church, a portion of that money goes to the cooperative program. It, it might vary mm-hmm. 9%, 10%, 11%, whatever. I mean, some churches give quite a bit more yeah. to the cooperative program to fund these things, things like missions, things like seminaries, and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and what's cool about that, like you said, it is when you say that it's, you know it's taken from the churches. It's not taken in the sense of the executive committee like forces you. Right. You no, must no, no. give this amount of money. Actually, it's entirely up to the church right. uh, to give whatever they decide right. that their their That's congregation right. determines and their budget to give, which right. is kind of cool as well. Right. So yeah, and so that meeting that uh, happens once a year. It happened just a couple weeks ago. Um, and it was a big one. It was. And, and so uh, the way we want to start this one, who knows how we usually flow, right? But this one, the flow for today is we'll talk about the actions that were taken. Uh, some of them, I don't know, controversial, depending on who you are, uh, where you sit. Um, yeah. and some of them, uh, there is a perception that they're controversial and I, I don't think they're that controversial. And then some of them, um, some of them, there is effort in, uh, 
the media to make them appear more controversial than they are. And, yeah. and that's one of the things. And that is the perspective. Um, I want to mention that the name of this, uh, there's a blog today uh, from DennyBurke.com. Denny Burke is a professor, a professor at Boyce College, which is the undergraduate section of uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. They both uh, exist right there on campus. Uh, same campus, just... Uh, separated by a little ways there. And so uh, Denny Burke has taught there at least something like 15 years. And um, I did not meet him when I was there. I assume you haven't met him before nope. either. Um, and he writes he writes well. I, I appreciate uh, for years what he has written. And so this one is called, this is his most recent post as of here we are, June 27th, 2023. And uh, on June 20th, 2023, just shortly after the meeting happened, his his title was the narrative, the quote-unquote quote narrative, unquote. versus the reality of SBC 23. And so the easiest way for us to start is uh, to call attention to the six actions that we're going to talk about today to one degree or another. And um, here's the way Denny Burke summarizes those six actions. He says, uh, quote, proponents of female pastors were losing the argument. Uh, and so he, he, he talks about how that that was, um, that's not where I should have started that quote. Let me, let me start a little bit back then. Oh yeah. I was going to say this section here before I mentioned those, um, in, in, in stating why he thinks the narrative is being provided wrongfully. He says that to try to slant the narrative, uh, is no surprise, uh, is he says, quote, the SBC is a complementarian convention. It's written into our governing documents. The world hates this teaching and will try to paint the teaching in the worst possible light. Egalitarians and excuse me, egalitarians and feminists have been leveling the abuse slander against complementarians for decades. It is the worst sort of ad hominem, and egalitarians have found it a useful tactic when they are otherwise losing the biblical argument. So, so that's strong, and mm -hmm. I frankly agree uh, yeah. that that's that's probably the reason why the, the slant is being presented the way it has been in not just one article, in many articles. Yeah. Um, and so then uh, he goes on to say what I already said, and make no mistake about last week, proponents of female pastors were losing the argument. And then here are the actions. Uh, one, the SBC voted overwhelmingly to exclude two churches with female pastors. Two, the convention also amended its doctrinal statement to clarify that the terms pastor, elder, and overseer are merely, merely three ways of referring to the same office. Three, also the convention voted to approve an amendment to the SBC Constitution, which defines a cooperating church as one that affirms, appoints, or employs only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by scripture. Uh, none of these folks were close. He says they were all 80-90% supermajorities. And so for the purposes of clarity, I'll go ahead and mention four, five, and six, and then we'll start back uh, at one. Uh, the, uh, number four, the messengers of the SBC were having uh, none of this discussion about uh, Southern Baptist pastors only removed two churches. No, uh, they voted against the church. Uh, that there was a church that uh, a, had been brought on charges of a pastor. It had charges of sexual misconduct, and the messengers of the SBC voted to disfellowship that church as well, which did not discipline him and voted against that church by a margin that exceeded the other two churches that were removed for having female pastors. Um, and so that is number four, uh, number five, uh, the SBC voted to renew the abuse task force for another year. If you don't know what the abuse task force is, we've already described how, uh, how the Southern Baptist convention is structured, which provides a special kind of challenge when you want to investigate, charge mm -hmm. and protect people from someone else going to that church. So someone getting a job at that church, right? Um, well, we, our churches are independent. We can't tell anybody else, you can't do that. You know, you can't hire them. We, we literally, the, the government of the church is the people there. And so um, this might be a little confusing if you've never been Baptist, believe me, I understand. Um, but nobody can come into a Baptist church and say, I'm the Pope. I'm, this is how you have to run this place. You know, right. I'm the, I, even I'm a police officer. It's like, look, separation of church and state protects churches so that no government official can come in and say, this is how you have to run this church from a standpoint of 
church government. Yes, a fire marshal could come in if there was a fire and say, you all have to leave. Yes. <laughs> yeah. but, right. Uh, but other than that, uh, so the SBC voted to renew the abuse task force for another year. And even with all the controversy surrounding guidepost and the credibly accused category, if you're deep in the weeds on this and you know about this, this is challenging. It's hard. Yeah. Um, Southern Baptists recommitted to abuse reform. And again, the vote wasn't even close. So that's number five. And then finally, uh, number six is uh, there was a debate on a certain amendment uh, about about this this issue of how to um, how how to assess men and women and their giftedness in the church. And uh, number six is an agreement: both men and women are gifted for service in the church. Women are a gift to the church. We affirm their vital roles in the ministry of the church and the church staffs. Um, we share a commitment to affirming women in ministry. So those are the six. And now that I've mentioned the six and really where we want to land is kind of just talking about, okay, what does all this mean? Because yeah. um, there's a lot of ideas in here, a lot of controversial ideas. I mean, we've just mentioned abuse. We've just mentioned roles for men and women uh, in the church. Um, and, and complementarianism means you also mentioned roles for men and women in the home. Yep, and, and so uh, going back then to number one, the SBC voted overwhelmingly to exclude two churches with female pastors. Yep, this so this is the reason. If you've heard about the Southern Baptist Convention on any news outlets or media outlets, which that was the first I first time I heard about all of it. Well, I mean, I knew the the convention was happening, but I wasn't really keeping up with it like live. Right, I was. My intention was, you know, I'm going to let it happen. I'll hear about the things afterwards. I'll read some articles, maybe go sure. go to YouTube and watch some of what happened. But I wasn't attempting to keep up with it live. But I'll tell you who was, and that's NPR. Sure. Uh, so I turned on the, the radio uh, on the NPR and just driving along. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, they're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, they were talking about the Southern Baptist Convention in a very negative light <laughs> about uh, just how essentially how, how terrible it was that uh, they were voting to remove um, these churches who had uh, who had installed women as some form of pastor, yep. um, and they even had Dr. Moeller on and kind yeah. of, uh, gave a little. Not they didn't have him on the show, but like they played a little bit of oh. the um, oh of the uh, yeah. argument that he made right. um, on behalf of the of the SBC. Um, and yeah, and so I was like, okay, well, right. this is clearly something that's going to make some waves yep. as here NPR the day of is talking about it this evening. Um, and it is a significant issue. So, so to make it as clear as possible, um, the Southern Baptist Convention already has in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 a clear statement that says that women uh, are not, that, that the role of pastor uh, is reserved for qualified men. Yeah. Only, yeah, um, and so to take the actions that certain churches have taken, and a part of why this is such a big deal is because of one of the churches in question. One of the churches in question here is Saddleback Church. Yes, Pastor Rick Warren is the pastor of there for a time. I think it was the largest evangelical church uh, denomination um, in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was extremely well known. Lar it, largest evangelical church in the Southern Baptist Convention, not a denomination. Right. Did I say denominate in yeah. in the convention? Yes. Yes. So so as of all the churches that that are uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, they were at least for a time. I don't know if they still are, but the the largest. Um, and Rick Warren, obviously a very well known pastor, has written books. Wrote one of the most popular selling um, Christian books over the past thirty years, Purpose Driven Life. Um, that is a part of what made this such a big deal. This is Rick Warren that just got. Kind of ousted. Now, it actually came up. Um, One detail about that, uh, just a clarification. He is not currently the pastor. He has retired. Correct. And, and what sharpens uh, the disagreement is that now two people, a man and his wife, are named as the co-lead pastors. Yeah, basically. Right. So you can see how that's a problem, uh, according to the Southern Baptist uh, right. Faith and Message 2000. So um, so what it, how it actually started was last year. So this was actually an issue yeah. last year at last year's convention where it was put forward um, the a, a motion and it was known ahead of time to remove or, or essentially disfellowship Saddleback 
community church um, because of their stance on really what it what it amounts to, and as it's come, become clear, their egalitarian right. uh, theology. And Rick Warren last year um, was prepared and gave a very impassioned speech uh, in defense of his church and their stance and um, and just pleaded that they would be allowed to remain in the right. Southern Baptist Convention. Right. Well, last year, when that vote happened, uh, after his speech, the vote was to allow them to remain, right. which was a kind of a shock to a lot of people. Um, and I have my estimations on why I think that is. We can talk more about that if you want. Um, I think it had to do with the fact that not enough of the people there who were who were messengers from churches really had a firm idea on what was going on. What yeah, they were really voting on, what the issue was. And he wasn't really clear when he was speaking about no. it exactly last year either. No. Uh, he was he was to some degree clearer in his speech on where he stands, but um, having been, uh, well, I mean, influenced by Rick Warren's writings, I mean, when I was in Bible college, uh, uh, Purpose Driven Youth Ministry, which was not written by Rick Warren, it's, it was written by Doug Fields, who was the youth minister at Saddleback at the time, that was my model methodology for how to do youth ministry. And when I say that was my model, I have operated off of that model in a lot of ways. I mean, your model ends up being a conglomeration of various yeah. things, um, but very influ- influential for me. Um, I have a copy of the Purpose Driven Church, which if you're not in this world, it's a similar kind of idea. It's uh, The book is about methodology of how you how you communicate to your church, what are the purposes of the church, here's how then we organize according to the purposes of the church, how we structure, how we mobilize, all these sorts of things. Um, that if you are not a minister, I'm sure it's not interesting to you at all, which is why the higher selling book was The Purpose Driven Life, where it's a brand by that point, and he takes yeah. the purpose-driven brand, but he says, here's a devotional book about your life, and you know what if there, what if God has a purpose for your life? That's right. what that is. And, um, and so... Uh, I I was very influenced uh, in some ways by Rick Warren and um, Rick Rick Warren has been influential um, part of the seeker sensitive movement in the 80s certain churches in this town operated according to uh, methodologies developed by Rick Warren out of Saddleback uh, Orange County California and also Bill Hybels uh, out of Chicago Um, and so there's a lot of stories there that are in the background here and I agree with you that a lot of probably what was going on last year when Rick Warren made a speech and and he was not the, the church was not disfellowshipped his people realized there was something going on and then over the last year They've begun to watch. Yeah. They've begun to watch. Uh, and not only all the churches or, or the, you know, the, the messengers representative of the SBC, but also uh, the executive team mm-hmm. or the executive committee um, over between last year's convention and this year's took action to remove Saddleback Church right. and other churches. Right. And so what came back to the floor again this year was actually the appeal made right. Right. by Saddleback Church. Right. Uh, asking to uh, basically appealing the the ruling or the decision made by the executive committee and so therefore was brought to the convention again essentially and unlike last year right the vote was even after hearing the arguments made from uh from him and then from dr moeller representing the executive team um the decision was still made the vote was cast overwhelmingly that they be disfellowshipped and i think it was 88 to 11 uh, percent something like that um and so it was a big deal, and and both both um, uh, Dr. Warren and Dr. Moeller made, uh, you know, gave short speeches that were right. very um, emotional. They were very serious and passionate about what they were saying. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, Dr. Moeller presented a biblical argument, uh, and not only a biblical argument, a rational argument from the fact that there is a clear statement that we all agree to affirm and uphold. Mm-hmm. And Saddleback Church is not doing that. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. And, and I, oh, sorry, go ahead. And I, I saw these. Um, if you're wondering, like, how would I find those? I just saw them on Twitter. I mean, they were floating around Twitter last oh, yeah. week. Um, three minutes. Uh, they're, they're worth, if you're interested in this at all, they're worth finding yep. um, because it, it, they each were given three minutes. They're each on the floor of um, the convention center and, yep. uh, and the arguments were made. Um, I will say, having been familiar with both of these men for a few years, um, Rick Warren uh, did not appear as sharp 
as uh, this is this is a man pretty sharp, and yeah. and his arguments and his style uh, seemed off. I, I didn't understand why um, why he was making the argument this way, and and I say that to say that uh, probably the strangest part of his speech was, um, yes, we disagree. Uh, my church and and my position is to disagree with Southern Baptists on egalitarianism versus complementarianism. So yes, we disagree with the Baptist faith and the message. Um, but if we agree on 99.999, he kind of ran on with the nines. Uh, isn't that okay? And, and I mean, I was kind of sitting there going, well, uh, certainly it's not. Um, because if you've ever read the Baptist faith and message, we, we don't just pick things out um, and go, well, do I have to believe in the Holy Spirit to be a Baptist? We agree on 99% of other things. Do I have right. to believe in the scriptures to be a Baptist? Do I have to agree uh, that God loves people to be a Baptist? It's like, oh, listen, they're not putting stuff in there willy-nilly. Right. <laughs> the Baptist, and so yeah. to, to say clearly, I just, I do, I, I don't agree with this significant, this part that I agree is a significant issue. And then to be surprised, because, you know, Al Mohler said, look, some people say this is about men and women really fundamentally this is about the bible if the yeah. bible is clear in the way it presents this issue and it is then we do what the bible says like who what is our authority that's, exactly. that's our authority yeah. so this is not actually about men and women uh, strictly speaking it is about how do we how, what is our guide for faith and practice right uh, and and it's that that's my position as well i agree it's it's about how, the authority that we answer to in our lives, and, and uh, we don't answer to any person's opinion about what men and women are, women are capable of. The scriptures lay all this out for us. So. Yep. Yeah, and and both made uh, made their speeches from the floor. And, and one of the a couple of the high points I thought from from Dr. Moeller's he he had some. One was that that he he was basically saying this is not just an issue of uh, you know what it is that we do as churches. Yeah. It's an issue of whether or not we believe the Bible to be the authority right. for, for our churches and our lives. Right. That's what this comes down to. Uh, and it is an undeniable fact, uh, as Dr. Morler pointed out from the floor and pointed out again in the briefing the following Friday when he, he did finally speak about yeah. kind of his experience there, um, is that it is a very logical next step from embracing egalitarianism, rejecting biblical roles for for men and women in the church and in the home uh it is a very short step from there to all kinds of other things being accept, being accepted especially uh rejecting the biblical teachings on things like homosexuality and other lgbtq issues and that's that's just the facts now that wasn't necessarily the point here in this convention because he wasn't proposing those things but dr moeller was making the case that we need to defend against these things because we know what's next, right? Because because once you reject biblical authority, I mean, you're gone. I mean, the right. rest is the rest is so easy to let go of, right? And and you know, um, we will probably talk about Jay Gresham Machen in a podcast pretty soon. But um, one of the most important books I read in seminary was called Christianity and Liberalism. And, yeah. and look, the what I I believe to be a a simple truth, though it is a little hard to get your head around at first is that what we often call kind of liberal Christianity, which is basically sort of like humanism with a little facade of Christianity, yeah. uh, is another religion. I mean, right. if, if you're saying, um, well, I, uh, I believe we ought to be nice to people and compassionate when we can, uh, look, that's nice, but that's not Christianity. Right. Uh, that's a different thing altogether. And and, and you can ask a question of that. What is your authority on that? Well, it's just a feeling that I have. Okay, well, uh, what, what you have in Christianity is way beyond that. What you have in Christianity is a statement of who is God? What does he expect of us? Why did he make the world? What is going to come of the world? Uh, and then, okay, what is my role in it? Well, you, you need to repent of your sins and say yes to Jesus uh, because he is the Savior who is come and who is to come again. Mm -hmm. And and whatever you do, Jesus will return. His his kingdom will come. Um, but where your part in that kingdom will be is yet to be determined uh, in terms of where we live right now. And so this is, uh, this is foundational to what Christianity actually is. And then the other thing that Al Mohler said that I thought was just really helpful, he said, look, the reason there is a Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is we discussed these issues throughout the 80s and the 90s. 
And it resulted in a position on this issue, which is reflected in the Baptist Faith and Mission 2000. We've discussed this at length already. This is not where we're going. If we wanted to go this direction, we could have gone there in 1980 or 85, 90, anywhere in between there, or 2000. We're not going there. This is already this has already played out before. And what what might feel new, uh, and this is my own judgment about this, what might feel new to Rick Warren is not new to the Southern Baptist Convention right. in terms of issues that have been discussed in the past. Right. That's exactly right. And that's one of the points Dr. Mueller made, too. He said— we were. This was one of the main issues we were dealing with 23 years ago when, when the latest edition of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was, well, the Baptist Faith and Message came known as 2000 because that's sure. the year it was edited and, and kind of the final form put out. Um, these are some of the same issues they were dealing with because they saw what this could do and how it threatened to tear sure. the church, church apart. Uh, and that's why the... the team that created this and ultimately the convention voted to uh to affirm and adopt this uh this confession is because it set clears made evident uh and prioritized the authority of scripture yeah. over this to not over this uh, collection of churches uh and over the frankly all who call themselves christians yeah uh and so yeah this is stuff that is not new. It's exactly like you said. Right, right. And so let's uh, officially we can leave that there. We're going to bounce back and forth between these to some degree because a lot of this stuff is sort of related. Sure. You know, and so the uh, as a result, number two, the convention also amended its uh, doctrinal statement to clarify that the terms pastor, elder, and overseer are merely three ways of referring to the same office. Yep. Yeah. So this was. Um, did you listen to the briefing where Dr. Mueller talked about yes. what he said? I appreciated what he said about this, and you mentioned this too. Yeah, it does seem concerning because what happened in this is that the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was edited. Right. Now it was a small edit. Right. And one that some might even say was unnecessary, although recent events would say maybe not. Um, it was a, a slight change in the wording, rather than saying uh, that the office of pastor is to uh, only be allowed for qualified men, uh, but to say the office of Pastor slash overseer uh, slash, uh, what was the final word? Elder. De- elder. Yeah, that's right. Elder uh, is limited to qualified men. Um, that change was adopted from the floor. It was proposed right. and adopted right from the floor during the convention, which, as Dr. Miller pointed out, he, he was like, that's a little bit scary. That and, and maybe bad precedent. And Denny Burke has said that as well. And, Denny, and I think rightly so. It does seem a little bit not good that a change to our official confession of faith could be made. Yeah. It's, it's the, not a confession, technically speaking. Um, but, um, it is not a good precedent to, uh, to change that so quickly and to anyone kind of going, well, well, why not? You guys just told me that the group gathers, that's the only time they're really together. Um, it's hard to know the ramifications of language, and usually the, the wise way that this is handled by, uh, well, this is by other denominations, by legal entities, um, is to propose a possible change and literally wait something like a year. Mm-hmm. Let, it, let people mull it over for a year. Let it be out there for a year. See how people use that language, what various sort of issues might come up as people say, well, this communicates this to me. Um, it's just not gener- not at all generally wise to just kind of go, look, let's just change the fa- fundamental document about what we agree on <laughs> uh, yeah. w- right now. Why could we not? We're all here. Let's just do it. Uh, right. That churches, our churches, for instance, uh, our churches don't do that. Our right. churches have their in, in their constitution and their bylaws that is written in. If you want to change this constitution, you have to meet and approve it, meet two times to discuss. I mean, they're, depending on the church, these are a little different, but um, the, it is a slower process. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, yeah. Uh, that is something that you and I have both uh, heartily affirm that let's just not yeah. make a practice of doing this right. quick, quick change. Yeah. In this instance, it's like, yeah, I agree. I under, both understand and agree with the change that was made. So in a sense, it was made in, I think, the right direction, but it was made so quickly right. and s- seemingly so easily that it's like, yeah, this could happen in the other direction if we're not careful. Sure. You know and, what I mean? Sure. And, um, and, and, and I mean, 
um, to anybody who might you know, be hearing these terms, uh, so that there are Greek words that, that correspond to pastor, elder, and overseer, and, and depending on your denominational background or your church background, um, some churches might use the term bishop. Um, some churches, um, some churches have uh, an official. Um, we don't have uh, elders as a job title usually in in Baptist churches, um, and and so they're used in a little bit uh, different ways, even among Baptist churches. And so that's a part of the concern too. And even, but it's not only a part of the concern, it's a part of why this problem has become a problem. Because earlier when you said, um, we believe qualified men should be pastors of churches. Well, look, our churches have various ways they approach oversight, Mm -hmm. various ways that they approach whether or not you pay people to do oversight. And then even, um, I mean, one simple fact is that Baptist churches have various terms that they apply to men and women who are in various kind of levels of leadership. And this, why does this clarify that to some degree? The, the issue, uh, you read the scriptures, the issue in the scriptures looks to be the overseers of a church, the, the elders, the pastors, the people who are tasked and who will answer to God for their oversight of the church are to be qualified men. doesn't mean that women don't serve in the church. Right. It, it does mean that men are primarily called to oversee and to govern the church. Qualified men. Yeah. Qualified men. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Um, and it gets into, well, that's, I mean, we've already mentioned it, but that's a part of why he's sort of wanting to help deconstruct the narrative and make clear the narrative versus the reality. When I say he, I mean, Denny Burke in this blog, because as much as the media is just latched on to this, um, what seems to them to be an assault on women, uh, where we are, are not allowing women to, to teach or be pastors in our churches, um, as though that were the only thing we were concerned about. He does make the point that another church that was removed uh, was removed for having a un, an unqualified or disqualified male pastor. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we, we know it was something having to do with sexual misconduct, but we don't know more than that. The church was unwilling to remove him, right. though he was clearly disqualified. So the convention said... Well, if you are not willing to abide by the Baptist faith and message, which says qualified men, right. then you also are disfellowshipped or removed from this convention. Right. And so, like, there is still work to be done, I think, to get um, as, as much as possible to get uh, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Consistency across the board. Yeah. Uh, because as some have pointed out, and as Rick Warren pointed out in his speech, there are still... Uh, many churches in the Southern Baptist Convention that right now have women in some sort of office described as pastor. Yes, um, and, and, and what this will drive yeah. is the aligning of the title yes. with the expectation of oversight. Uh, and, and, and so... Which I think is what we have to... Right, which is what is needed. Discuss. Yeah. I mean... And what, what, what do you mean by that when you say that? So that if you are called a pastor, and for instance, you go, well, you keep saying pastor, pastor. Well, look, you need to understand, if you're not Baptist, there are... there are uh, What I was a year ago, which is I was a youth minister, is the title I would usually use. Some churches will say youth pastor. Um, I just use the term youth minister in general. I think it's a simpler term, and also I think it is it aligns with the New Testament, and I'm not trying to put in any errors about, you know, that frankly, the term pastor often carries a little bit more respect than the term minister. Um, not in the New Testament, and not according to what Jesus defines as greatness, which is service, but uh, you can say a lot more about that. And so then you have in various churches, for instance, a worship pastor, or a minister of music, depending on official titles. Uh, you have a lead pastor. Uh, the, you might have a children's pastor or a children's minister. 
Um, and to, to those who don't care too much about uh, details in terms of language, this might be really boring to you, yeah. um, but it doesn't matter, not only uh, in terms of, there, there are two issues. One of the issues is being precise mm-hmm. about what actually is, is expected and what's done. But the other issue is faithfulness. God, we, we, we want to be uh, honest in what we are calling this because you tell us certain people will answer for what they do in terms of yep. the church. And so we will answer to God for every, everything that we do, uh, whether in word or deed. And, and so you want to be faithful in those terms. And so both of those things happening are, is what's driving this as well. Yeah. And I think that's a really important discussion that more Southern Baptist churches need to have. And it's, I, language does matter, mm-hmm. you know? And I think one of the things that's been happening and that happens in a lot of Southern, a lot, well, a lot of churches in general, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to say Southern Baptist churches, but as a Southern Baptist, I'm most concerned with churches that I fellowship with. Um, and I would say, especially Southern Baptist churches who, uh, there is there can oftentimes be a disconnect between a title and a function yeah where you can be ha- you can have a woman with um, with a certain title whether that be um, director of children's ministry or um, minister of of uh, what's another thing I don't know fellowship something like that yeah. um, and you can be avoiding the title of pastor, but the function of pastor might still be being bestowed on that person. That is, they are given oversight. They are given a a role of authority or even teaching over the church, including both men and women. In which case, I think there are some churches who, while they have avoided the the title of pastor or elder or overseer, the function is still there. And therefore that's still a problem. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, kind of on the flip side, I think there is also a, a, an issue with sort of the other direction where the office, or excuse me, the title of pastor or elder might be bestowed on individuals while in function they don't at all function in that way. So right. they're not exercising any authority in the church right. or, or sometimes not teaching the church, um, but can end up being more like assistance to the pastor or... Um, or maybe even more like a deacon or like a, uh, like a, a, um, board of directors. Sometimes that can be the case where they're given the title of elder, but really director of operations might be more sure. inclined. I'm saying all of that to say there's all kinds of ways in which this can, wires can get crossed because our language isn't matching our practice. Yep. Um, and we're not being as precise as maybe we should be. Yep. Uh, and I think it, it is only going to be a helpful endeavor to dig into that a little bit and say, are we being faithful to the scripture and the right. words that scripture uses right. and how we're applying them in our churches? Yeah. I think it's worthwhile. Right. You know, we, we can say all day long, well, you know, this woman isn't uh, preaching from the pulpit uh, and therefore make yourself feel okay, regardless of what her title is, or maybe say she's not preaching on Sunday mornings or whatever. Uh, but the, I mean, what is, what does Paul say in, in first Timothy chapter two? He says in first, and this is largely where a lot of this comes from. It's not exclusively, but largely. Titus as well, yeah. Um, yep, Titus as well. Uh, but in First Timothy two twelve, this is what Paul says, and this is when he's teaching on roles of men and women in the church, uh, and in the home. He says, "I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man." Uh, and then he he roots it in creation, as we know, in the following verses. Um, there are there is some explanation that needs to go with that. Uh, but not as much as what sometimes people act like there is. Sure. Paul is making pretty clear here that within the church, there's an understanding that women are not to exercise authority or teach over men in the church. That would be a usurping of a, of a role that is not designated for women. It is designated only for, as we've said, qualified men. We need to be careful as churches that we're not overstepping either one of those two things either teaching or having authority. And that can, that can be a difficult game. That's not a game. That can be a difficult uh, line to track. Uh, and I admit that. Uh, but it's one that we have to be weary of, aware of, and be willing to recognize when we are beginning to cross that line. Yeah. 
And it's it's not as simple as just don't give her the title of pastor. Right. It's not that simple. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a discussion that needs to needs to be had a little bit more, and maybe in future episodes we can talk more about that sure. kind of dynamic. But uh, but it's at least being addressed here, and I think that's good yeah. uh, that we're beginning to have some of these discussions that probably, I mean, needed to be had. You know, it wasn't as easy as well. The Baptist Faith and Message two thousand stated it. Problem solved. Never have to think about it again. And I think for some, it's been twenty years of not thinking about it, uh, or at least not thinking critically about it. And now it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to start thinking about this again. Yeah. So, right. And so at this point, um, we should point to the fact that uh, this is an explanation of uh, what is called complementarianism from a standpoint of men and women are complementary to each other. There are different expectations. Uh, because of different roles uh, for men and women in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we've been describing, you've been describing, what are the expectations or what are the roles that men are called to in the church? Okay, then what are the roles that women are called to in the church? Uh, they are they are many. Uh, yeah. You, you think of 1 Corinthians 16, Romans 16, about a body with many parts. And so you should, it, it's always dangerous to call attention to one role. And then we've had to spend a lot of time talking about that one role because it is the one that there are many questions about right now. How many other roles are mentioned in those? Um, something like 18 uh, in Romans, uh, the last time I, I remember looking at that. And so that's 18 different gifts that uh, that are present and it says, let these gifts be carried out. And they are carried out in the world. They are carried out in the church. There is a special situation in governance of the church, and there is a special situation in the preaching of the gathered church. And mm-hmm. that's what we've been talking about. Yep. But lest we kind of, you can end up sort of in, in a corner kind of going, so what have we defined here? We defined one of these mm-hmm. roles. And we have excluded women from one of these roles. There's just this just a simple fact that what we're saying. Yeah. But then there are something like if you look at if you compare First Corinthians 16 and Romans 16, uh, there's overlap, and then there's question about are these exact same. And so let's say 18. That's right around the number. So then the other 17 uh, gifts uh, are reserved. Uh, for both men and women yeah. and expect to be expressed by both men and women. And even the gift of shepherding, this is a whole big discussion that really didn't have to come, but one that I, I, I want to point to, to go, do women have the gift of shepherding? Yes. Yeah. Very much. I believe the new Testament teaches that they do. Yeah. Okay. What are they to do with that gift? There to use that to the glory of God. And if you want to push and push and push, say, well, but you just said something a minute ago that makes me concerned. Okay, keep that. You can ask that question. That's fine. Um, they, they are not to be the overseer of the church. Mm-hmm. The overse- they're, they're not to be the primary overseer of the church. They use that gift in different ways. Uh, but this is what God has directed. Well, you, do you think they're capable of this? Do you think they're not capable of that? I don't, I don't, I'm not making an argument about capabilities. Right. That's not what we're trying to do right. here. Um, right. I don't claim to know everybody's capabilities. One of the things I find most fascinating about people is they have way more capabilities than I know. And to draw those capabilities out, to examine the potential of people, I love it. It's one of the most fun things that we get to do in ministry is to, yeah. to encourage people to preach the gospel so that spiritual life comes to them and then they go and serve and, and, and find life in that. And so um, this is a challenging subject to talk about, but one that is life-giving. Right. And one that is helpful, right. um, it is not limiting to say, these are your gifts, go use them. It is limiting to say, the New Testament teaches this is something that is reserved in this area. Right. Um, so, but that's what the New Testament teaches. Right. And, and, and so... So, uh, yeah, as you <laughs> are there putting your hands up, it, the, the, the question you were asking with those hands is, is the Bible the authority or not? Right. You know? If it isn't, go do your own thing. That's right. But I, That's right. If, if it is, then then we do it according to the way God tells us to That's do it. That's right. And, you know, that's a part of, with with all this in mind, 
when these this vote happened in the in the convention and and Saddleback Church was not permitted to uh, when their appeal was declined and they were they were officially removed uh, from the convention, what did not happen was that anyone lost their job. No one was was removed from right. the role of pastor. Right. No women right. Were, right. Right. were pulled out of any positions that they were in. In fact, Saddleback Church can continue doing whatever it is they were doing. Right. Uh, and in a sense, we've just freed up their budget a little bit to do it. You know what to I mean? To some degree. To some yeah. degree, because it's highly unlikely they're going to continue giving to the cooperative program um, as they are now disfellowshipped. But um, as Dr. Mueller said in his in his um, response or his argument, um, he, uh, he said this is not a referendum on the— the ministry or the work of Saddleback Church. Right. We can rejoice in all that God is doing there. Because right. one of the things that Rick Warren was sort of putting forward is God is doing all this work through Saddleback right. Church. Right. He's, right. he's clearly working through us, through our ministry, whatever. And Dr. Moeller basically said, this is not a referendum on the church or, right. or the ministry right. of the church or any person at the church, nor is it a referendum right. on Rick Warren. Right. It is this, this body, this convention saying, we have to, we are bound by scripture uh, to remain faithful to it to what it has revealed to us and so right. and to operate in that way and so i really appreciated that that portion where he said we can rejoice in in all that god is doing there we just can't affirm those things right and, and uh number three is sort of then a corollary it's, it, it goes right along with the the thing that you're talking about that the convention voted to approve an amendment to the sbc constitution which defines a cooperating church as one that affirms appoints or employs only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by scripture and that was also approved something somewhere in the 80 to 90 percent and um and so and, and when you look at that, you go, okay, not only did was this decision made on this issue here, we expect to make th- this decision will be the same decision. Should anyone else say, I don't think you're very clear on, on how you stand on this or where you're coming from, the, the convention, uh, the gathered convention said, this is where we stand on it. Any church that disagrees, we disagree with you. If you're wondering if we yeah. disagree with you, we, right. we disagree. Yeah. And you can and you can hold that position. You just cannot hold that position and remain in good standing with this convention. Right. That's and all you, there is you, to it. You can't hold that position and say we're the same as you. We, hold, we yeah. you're not. It, it's just yeah. a, a different place to be standing. That's right. And so we should get to what you already mentioned, uh, which is that uh, that there was a church that uh, was removed for having a disqualified male pastor. Uh, there was a quote pattern of sexual misconduct with women who are under his pastoral care and supervision. And this is grievous that this happened. Um, We are against abuse in its various forms. Power is not to push anyone around. The teaching of Jesus is that strengths are for service. Power is meant to be used. Power is given by God to bless others. To serve others, not to coerce, right, abuse, misuse, uh, anything like that. Right. So this is grievous, and these things do happen. Anytime, <coughs> excuse me, anytime you have uh, power imbalance, uh, and frankly, you know, one of the stories we point to in the Bible is that Cain and Abel uh, were brothers, yeah. and they had a power balance, and Cain killed Abel. Horrible things happen in this world and uh it is sin and it is evil and one day jesus will come and and this will all be straightened out we we long for that world but until that day comes this is the world that we live in so we have to figure out ways to protect the vulnerable and that is one something that was done at the annual meeting but two um the 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 fifth issue which is very challenging um is still in process. And the fifth issue is the SBC, uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention at the annual meeting voted to renew the abuse task force another year. Um, even with all the controversies surrounding, gu- surrounding guidepost and the credibly accused category, um, look, there are, there are a few categories that you have when you deal with this issue in terms of abuse. You have people who have been convicted in a court of law because there was uh, enough evidence to convict them. Well, in that case, they... Will not serve as, right. as a pastor, and that that issue is already settled. Right. 
um, you have someone who has been uh, credibly accused is a complicated pair of words. Yeah. How do you yeah. establish credibility yeah. to an accusation? And this is a legal issue. Right. And you know, it's legal, but at the same time, it's different for the church. Like, we're not just going by whether or not a person is legally convicted. Like, there, there is a little bit more to it than that within the church. Sure. It's a legal um, issue as well as a moral issue. As well, as well as a moral issue as well. But I mean, like, the, not only... Because a person could be uh, in a court of law found not guilty, right? But does that mean that there still isn't ground for them to be removed from their position in a church? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right. I mean, I think there's more to it than that. It's not just, well, let's see what the courts say. And then we'll decide if this guy's fit for ministry or not. I wish it were that simple. Right. But it's not. Because though even when you think about what is a, a what is misconduct, we're gonna define that differently than what the courts right. are gonna define it. Right. So that it might there might not be any legal issues here. But if a pastor has been engaging in in what is considered to be sexual misconduct according to scripture, he's to be removed. Right. So it's not as simple as what have the courts decided. It's more complicated than that, and the churches have to deal with these things. Right. Right. And so um, there is more work to be done to figure out how you do that. There, there, yeah. there are the basic sure. moral, legal, uh, gospel questions about that. Um, but then there's also, once you even have settled those questions, which are not easy to settle, there is the communication question. How do you tell a prospective church about a person who has been credibly accused if the charges were dropped, I mean, there's so many things that uh, yeah. the, the com lines of communication are not easy to establish across the world uh, in, in this from a standpoint of this is important information. How do you deliver it in a timely manner? Uh, it's challenging. And that's why it's been so difficult for the sexual abuse task force to sort out what to do about it. It does cost a lot of money. It's already cost a lot of money. No, it costs more money, but it's money worth spending. That was the decision that was made, that it is money worth spending. Yeah. So um, so that one we will, I mean, basically, uh, Lord willing, probably a year from now, we will talk about that more yeah. because it'll be more work that is yet to be done and work that, in the meantime, anybody who's hearing this, look, there are, uh, we have every person who works in the youth ministry at this church uh, gets a background check. They are never alone uh, with students. They're, the protections are already in place. Um, this is another level of protection that yeah. is being worked on uh, because, because it is challenging to sort out what are best practices to protect people yeah. in our very, uh, in a, in a world where someone can lose a job in Texas and move to Maine yeah. and then move to Michigan. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's hard enough in some ways to get mail to them, <laughs> much less to sort out what they did, where right. they did it when these right. things some, sometimes come out years later. So there's a lot to be said about this. It's yeah. in process, and I'm thankful that there are those uh, who are working on this daily to figure out what to do about it. Yeah. Uh, as We kind of are running out of time, but there's there's at least one more thing I want to talk about, and yeah. it wasn't really mentioned in Denny Burke's um, article because it wasn't Yeah, and that's fine. We already talked about article. number six, men and women are gifted in yeah. the church. And um, but I think it's at least worth acknowledging, uh, and, and I think in a good way, um, the work of Brother Brett Barber. Who's serving as Bart the, Barber? Or excuse me, Bart Barber. Yes, uh, you can tell I just know this guy so personally. Can uh, but yeah, uh, Bart Barber. So he is the president of the of the convention mm -hmm. and was reelected right, for, right. for another year. Um, and I think just looking at the the faithfulness of that man and and kind of the uh, the demeanor with which he he spoke and, and led the con the uh, the con excuse me the convention was really really good and exactly the way it needed to be led for a couple reasons I'll say um, he made the point um, before the vote was cast before the vote was taken with regards to um, with regards to doctor or not doctor Mueller uh, doctor Warren um, he said listen whatever the outcome we don't please don't clap yeah please don't celebrate. Uh, and the reason he gave for that is because we don't rejoice at divorce proceedings. Yeah. There's not a time for celebration. 
if a church is ever removed from the Southern Baptist Convention, that is not a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to be sorrowful, sure. to be sad. Yeah. And it is our prayer that yeah. that church, the same way in in church discipline, your hope and your prayer for an individual who is who is ever removed uh, from fellowship in a church, your hope and prayer for them is that they would repent. I agree. And that they would return to faithfulness to the to the scriptures yep. and be reun- reunited with their church family. Uh, we hope the same thing for Saddleback Church right. and for, for the leadership there, that they would repent uh, and that they would return. And even if they don't end up returning to the Southern Baptist Convention, right. they would return to biblical faithfulness and, yep. and the, the authority of the scriptures. Um, that statement by him I thought was so wise yes. and, and timely. Um, but then the other thing I would want to say is, do you did you hear about the situation for, for Bar- Barber? Yes. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Brother Barber came to that convention having just lost his uh, mother. Uh, His mother died right before the convention. He still stayed there and led the whole convention and did so well uh, and then left the convention to go back and perform his mother's funeral. Yeah. Man, what a—that to me was just such a testament of, of a few different things. A— um, the confidence that this man had uh, in his mother's savior because his mother was a believer. Not only was she a believer, she was a faithful uh, Baptist. Um, and here's something that's kind of cool is that in lieu of, of uh, flowers, the family decided, and they decided without even uh, Brother Barber being there, uh, they decided on behalf of their mom that they would ask everyone instead of sending flowers or buying flowers, to donate to the uh, Annie Armstrong Mission Fund. Yeah. Which is like, man, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and so they did that, which I thought was really neat. But um, it also speaks to, man, what pastoral life is like. This guy just led the convention as the president and spoke and, and did all these things and had to basically on a dime shift mm-hmm. into directing a funeral, not just a funeral, but the funeral for his mom. Yep. What an emotional roller coaster it must have been for him and, and I would be honest with you, that's the way it is for pastors a lot of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of the time, where you at times have to shift gears and, and redirect yourself from uh, from business-oriented to sorrow to joy to to meeting the needs of your congregation where they're at. And yeah. um, I mean, just praise God for, for, um, for Bart Barber's faithfulness, and um, we want to be in prayer for, for him, for his family. Uh, man, just what a crazy turn of events for him, but yep. cool to see how he handled it in such a professional and also godly way. Right. It's pretty cool. Right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, this is uh, kind of uncommon for us, but uh, in terms of, well, it's uncommon because the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting doesn't happen that often. It can't be yeah. that common for us to talk about this, but not necessarily do we talk uh, sort of... Uh, Southern Baptist Convention politics and some of these things, these are important for the life of the church, for the life of people uh, within the church, and for for the mission of Mm -hmm. the church. And so we wanted to talk about this today. And um, important things are are going to come out of this, and we're just— this is needed. Clarity on these issues is needed so that faithfulness can can happen. We, we want to uh, do things the way God calls us to. We want to be faithful to how he's laid it out uh, for it to be done. And, and so uh, I, I am very thankful. I, honestly, um, there's been there have been some hand-wringing and some concerns for months that this yeah. Southern Baptist Convention would not go well. Yeah, uh, These were complicated issues. And when you get a whole bunch of people in the room and you ask a bunch of questions and you have votes— you can't be guaranteed that it'll be calm and well oh, yeah. thought out. Oh, yeah. You cannot at all. And uh, I even, I, I mean, I read, I remember months ago, I read some uh, statements well, saying this is going to be a train wreck. This is going to be, and, and it was not by any means. No, no absolutely not. I, I don't think it could have gone any better than it went. And that's wonderful. I mean, I'm very glad to hear it. And so um, we're going to leave it there for this. Uh, thank you, Dylan, for everything that, you know, uh, you shared today. This was great. I enjoyed talking about it a lot. Yeah, me too. I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm proudly Baptist. And uh, after this convention, I will continue to say that. I agree. So. This has been Empires of the Future. We'll see you in the future. Mm-hmm.